0: Life good. Never off. Whoa. Hard. Hardly. Come on, Brent. Life good. Got real close. Hair high, right? Try and hit two thirds. Have they saved it for her? Yes, they have. Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott, physically distancing, as always. Hello, Scott.
1: Sean, hi. It's a beautiful night, and uh, yeah, that's all. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I thought I had something funny to say, but not always.
0: But you don't. Okay. But I don't. All right, so uh, let's get into this week's episode. Uh, this is a discussion that I had last week, Scott, and this is Born out of our discussions that we've had about diversity in curling and trying to make the sport more inclusive, a more welcoming place. And given that the protests that were happening in the NBA, the, the boycott started by the Milwaukee Bucks last week or two weeks ago now, of their playoff game that spread to other sports we thought it'd be a good opportunity to get back into these discussions which we had planned on doing anyway but uh, it's going to be the start of a series of discussions that we're going to have about the intersection of race and sports and culture a little bit about politics as well small p politics uh, not big Mm -hmm. p uh, partisan politics and we thought it'd be a good opportunity to get back into these discussions
1: yeah and uh, sean you reached out to a wide variety of people so, it, like you say, we're going to have uh, more discussions, ongoing discussions uh, on these very important things. Um, I I will admit that one of the nights last week when there were no sports on, I was kind of like, what am I supposed to do? Oh, oh, I'm supposed to reflect and think about why this is happening. And it to for me anyway, I think the goal was achieved to uh, for the players to say, Hey, everybody take a pause, think about what the state of the world is right now and how you can be better. So, uh, I'm, I'm excited to listen to this. This was you on your own, uh, doing this interview. Uh, we ran it live on Facebook, but, uh, wanted to replay it here in the podcast feed.
0: Yeah. So as Scott said, this is a solo one for me. It's also in collaboration, if you will, with Active History, where I am a contributing editor. So there are a couple of questions that might sound like historian-y like at some points,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: but it, it is a pretty general discussion about sports, uh, race, and culture. So uh, if anyone listens to the History Slam, you'll notice that uh, these two episodes this week for those two things are going to be the same interview content so i was very happy to run that on our facebook page so if you want to see the video of the discussion head on over to the game of stones facebook page or the ActiveHistory.ca youtube page as well it's over on that channel as Mm -hmm. well and so scott the discussion i had was with ornella zinduki imana she is a professor at sane fx and she primarily looks at race and sport in early 20th century Canada that's her main focus but she of course has a broader knowledge than just those 50 years in Canada so it was wonderful to have an opportunity to speak with her
1: yeah yeah let's uh, let's get into it
0: Okay, and we are now live here on the Game of Stone's Facebook page. Very excited to welcome in our guest today, someone who I've been working with a little bit over the past year. Uh, we'll get into that. Uh, but Arnella Zinduki Imana joining us from Human Kinetics at Saint FX. First of all, I hope I got that right. Second of all, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. No, thanks for inviting me. It's a great opportunity to speak. So yeah. I'll just say off the, off the top that uh, I work at Parks Canada. I was working on a designation of Larry Gaines and that is a designation that was announced a few weeks ago. Would not have happened without your help uh, in making sure everything was together uh, in the right way and that factually I got things right because Larry Gaines is someone who you have written about in your work and in general your area of study is sport, culture particularly with respect to the black canadian experience in the first half of the 20th century so mm-hmm. broadly speaking how do you describe your work because i view you sort of in the the foot of a historian you know you're walking in those mm-hmm. but that's what you work in human kinetics so how do you frame your own area of study and expertise
2: um yes yeah, so that's the thing i'm not necessarily yeah I don't come from a, a history department. I kind of never set set foot in history department and ended up in history almost by accident uh, by doing a you know a project at the end of uh, my human kinetics uh, degree and then you know that led to a master's and then a PhD but still all of those I was in the school of human kinetics or Whatever it was called at the the institutions I was at, so it it was. It's it's yes, as you mentioned, it's that social cultural branch of human kinetics, which often in human kinetics um, departments is always sort of this little secluded place that straddles arts and science. Um, So it's really so I teach a lot of. Human kinetics students who are often bachelor of science students, uh, um, you know, specializing in human kinetics, and they, they come in. They're not sociolo- uh, sociology majors. They're not uh, arts majors. Um, they're they're not his- history ma- majors. And it's really about sort of uh, if we look at them as this. This this uh, contingent of people that that will be uh, going on to be involved in sport in whatever capacity, whether as phys ed students, uh, not students, as uh, teachers, or um, professionals uh, in in sport in some ways, phys- you know, physical therapists or. Um, you know, OT, uh, occupational therapists and and all of those things that human kinetics can lead to. It's about sort of impressing upon them how much sport, which is what I focus on. Some other people um, will focus on more like physical activity or more uh, leisure, which are very separate things. Um, So uh, my my interest is more sport. So that competitive element, organized element. And it's a but impressing upon them the 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 place that sport has in society, in in our society, in North American and global society uh, as um you know as a whole. So it's it's very much based upon that idea that sport plays a good an important part in shaping what we end up thinking about uh, you know thinking. Of as being Canadian, life for Canadian um, uh, identity and and all the other parts of identity as well, so gender, um, race, class, uh, ethnicity, uh, and all those parts and how they intersect, as seen through the lens of sports. So, yeah, it, it's it 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 does always seem a bit, you know. I always have to convince I suppose my students because often people in human kinetics are people who have had great um experiences with sport right they've they've played sport they love it they want to continue working in it um and you whether competitive or just people like me who have always been sort of attracted to sport and and just enjoyed the phenomenon that is sport. Um, and so it's about convincing them that not all, everything is great about it, that there are many issues um, through, that, that develop through sport, that yes, sport can be this great uh, medium where thing, great things can happen, but on the other side as well, it brings about its own issues. Yeah, so th- that kind of, I hope, summarizes that, that question, that, um, you know, the answer to that question, which is, you know, yes, it, it's important. I think, especially in a university, uh, it's it's about giving students that that balanced view instead of just seeing the body as this mechan um, as this machine, which is what they learn in, you know, biomechanic classes and all those. It's about sort of bringing it back and saying, you know, we the way we treat the body in a medical in this this view of the body. Uh, through the medical lens uh, is, is partly what's the issue here uh, because we forget that it is anchored in, in, um, in a social cultural context that, that makes it problematic if we forget about it.
0: Right, so uh, let, let's get into some of that side of it because a lot of the, the opposition or criticism that I've heard over the past week and really the past few years, about athletes taking s- political stances or, or you know social justice stances has been, you know just played the game, right? Sports should be free of these sorts of things. And so I wrote down just off the top of my head today, uh, a bunch mm-hmm. of names of people, uh, Jack Johnson, Jesse Owens, Joe Lewis, Muhammad Ali, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Tommy Smith, John Carlos. Um, those were just off the top of my head in five seconds that I could think of. Mm-hmm. of athletes who, whose significance went well beyond the results uh, in their whatever their field was. You also have the 1980 Winter Olympic hockey team, the Americans, the Miracle on Ice team, the Summit mm-hmm. Series in this country, the Winnipeg Falcons, the Edmonton grads, and certainly you can go on and on with teams that yeah. their significance goes well beyond the accomplishment exclusively in terms of the results of the sport so why do you think there is this perception that so much of sport history was devoid of these things when clearly your work amongst a lot of other things demonstrates that that is not the case like where does this narrative come from that sports in the past was somehow neutral
2: it, i mean when you it's presented when it starts right you you, be, you, you begin sport um, as as this it's it's presented as this arena of um, uh, this what is equalizing uh, force you know everybody's on the same exact level and only their effort and only their talent and skill and athleticism can separate them and all of that is very individual and very much devoid seemingly of any kind of outside influence Um, things we try to call you know uh, we generally call um, politics and so I mean it is it is such a great idea to have a space where all of those things are stripped down and a person is only defined by the effort they put in and this performance they can give and you can put a number to it. They ran this fast, they they jumped this high, you know, marked uh what is it, uh put in so many points. But so all of that obscures you know, it, when you go back to the origins of sport of organized sport of or of modern sport at the you know turn of the ninth uh, of the 20th century with uh, the elite men's clubs uh, organizing these things uh they set up that template and and they kind of um, si- simulated that notion so that once people other people actually started coming in we 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 continued to believe that this was the case that it was devoid of any of the taint of outside, but also it does have to do with the fact that when you look at those names like um, like Jesse Owens was not speaking out, you know the way. Colin Kaepernick is speaking out, or the way John Carlos and Tommy Smith spoke out, right? They, they did not... Actually, Jesse Owens um, is said to have been very much anti the this 1968 demonstration by Tommy Jones and... Uh, no uh, Tommy Smith and, and John Carlos. Um, he was very much about do what you have to do on the field and don't speak up. Um, almost as if you know your performance should speak for itself but at that point in time the whole idea of just standing and letting your performance speak was passed. that was it was great in 1936 when just showing up and racking up a bunch of medals and and putting to shame the the, the whole ideology the whole nazi ideology without speaking a word was just very much um, very powerful, but by 1968, that, that is past. We've seen it, you know, the, the, that moment had passed, but he was insisting, he was very anti-political, um, you know, uh, uh, politicizing sport. When sport is already politicized, uh, not everybody can access it. Not, you know, you there are very several rules and, we 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 seem to be very much okay with politics when the majority or the elite are benefiting from it. Um, you know, those people who say separate sport from um, politics are the ones who are very much okay with the. Uh, What was that? The the series, the summit series in 72 and and this clash on on ice um, against the Soviets. Like that was not a hockey game. That was a that was a Cold War, you know, um, battle. It was very much in a high stakes. And those uh, those hockey players discovered that at the very quickly game one when they lost and just realized that the crowd was not about this. Like they were not there to be entertained. They were there to crush the the Soviets. Um, So in that case, nobody was saying, no, 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 remove my, the politics. I I just want entertainment. I want something to make me forget about uh, life and and just kind of this escapism somehow comes in, seems to come in when whatever is being espoused, whatever is being, endorsed by the athletes uh, is it goes against whatever ideology you hold so you right. know it's it's been interesting to watch um, the the pre- the the American president's son-in-law criticizing the the NBA and the president I believe I just kind of avoid anything trying to do any direct connection co- contact with with his Aura, But at the same time, you you see that somehow that is wrong, um, you know, because, well, of course it is against you. So so you're going to find a way to to crush that. But it's fine if they go and represent how the U.S. is great at, you know, at the Olympics or what have you and and stand for the flag. And, you know, so it's 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 very um, hypocritical.
0: Right. Well, right. I like you know. I think immediately of Muhammad Ali. Right when he wins the gold medal at the Olympics as Cassius Clay, and he's sort of this national hero, and then you know, he changes his name. He's Muhammad Ali. He th- throws the medal into the, the river in Louisville, and he you know, is openly critical of the Vietnam War. And then he becomes this villain, and yeah. it's it's really he's the same guy. It's just sort of what he is publicly standing for that has changed. So It it seems to me a lot of the times, it's not so much people are saying, keep politics out of sports or stick to sports. It's kind of more along the lines of stick to my politics. Mm -hmm. I support what I'm interested in. And that's where people then they say, well, sports didn't used to be like this. Well, no, it it did always kind of used to be like this. And it's, Uh, it's also a way that people have been governed, right? both physically and maybe even culturally a little bit, is through sports, is by putting people, or encouraging people to participate in sports. I think of after the First World War, when governments were encouraging people to participate in sports, particularly in schools, because hey, if there's another war, we need people who are in shape. Yes, sports is the avenue to to try to keep people physically active and, and in shape. So that's a direct political use of sport right there
2: exactly exactly when the state is employing it very very blatantly it seems to be forgotten Mm -hmm. and um you know so I, i would be interested to see because that's the thing we saw that a lot uh in in uh early in the 20th century where sport was really pushed as this thing to help um, maintain the, the the strength of, especially when thinking with Canada and the empire and everything, the whole, you know, protecting the empire. But it would be interesting to see how it would be received today because there's a lot of, you know, state, po- anti uh, state control um, people and movements. And so would that be seen as, in imposition, or would that be seen as a oh well yeah it's sport it's okay it's uh, they're looking out for us type of um, you know attitude it right. would be interesting to see.
0: I think you know if you think back to Michelle Obama had her Let's Move campaign and encouraged people to eat vegetables and she got heavily criticized for that uh, from
1: some <laughs> corners
0: um, right for the for those things that you're, you're talking about. Uh, I, I do want to ask though that. In the list of people who I immediately came up with that, that were immediately in front of mind, with the exception of the Edmonton grads, they were all men. And, uh, you know, there's certainly a the gender element to it. So I, I tried to think a little deeper. And, and the names that came to my mind were people like Jackie Joyner-Kersey or even maybe Cheryl Miller um, as, as women who, who fit into this mold. But in general, what is the difference, do you think, between men who have been more active or activist within sports and women.
2: If I, I, I think there's there's something there's something uh, to say about the the just the reach and the platform um, that they hold, right? Um, when you're looking at you know whatever the men do will have a lot of repercussions because there's just a big following, and often they're the first ones. Sort of out, and they're they're, they're they're just they have greater significance in 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 popular culture. And women, given just the space that they the little space that they that they are given uh, in sport, um, whatever they do seems, even though by by stepping out and by speaking out and. By by actually making you know taking a stance, they're they're risking much more than than men because often they're paid less, they have less opportunities, and so on and so forth. It just seems to not make as much of an impact, and it is unfortunate. But the 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 devaluation of women's sport, uh, I think, contributes a lot to just the dismissal of whatever they may be able to say. Uh, and, and, you know, historically we've had very few women who have had such, you know, who have been able to stand at, at such a, um, on such a platform as, as some of the men we've seen. So, you know, thinking back, maybe Athea, Athea I think, Gibson, a tennis player, uh, she 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 won Wimbledon. She was very much a representative of this rising black middle class, and um, and was politicized and definitely had a lot of backing to kind of step out and speak out. Um, but you know, very few people would name her, uh, would remember her when you. Have people like you know Kareem Abdul jabal or 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 you know uh, Muhammad Ali or or you uh, know uh, uh, what's his name um, Ash Arthur Ash you yeah. know she just somehow kind of just blended in yeah. maybe if she had come after Ash instead no I think actually Ash came after her but still kind of eclipsed her um, yeah and so you know when you have that going on I think. Just the the platform that is given to women is so small that whatever they say, it's almost like they're screaming into the void. And unless men come in and lend their support, it just doesn't seem that the spotlight stays, even you know, on them. If it did, even kind of turn to them. We see that with the w- uh, WNBA it had it started. It, had, it made a you know they made. Strong statements early on when when um, um, when Colin Kaepernick first started and that sort of movement and uh, even before he kind of left the NFL and so on, but somehow the NBA does something and they are you know it becomes much bigger thing uh, than than they than them, even though, you know, the WNBA has been sort of on that line for a longer time, the NBA before this had only done, you know, they had done t-shirts, uh, LeBron James and a few others had, had spoken up, but before 2020, you didn't have, they didn't have as much of an involvement as the WNBA uh, people and, and athletes, but yet, you know, it just seems like the NBA is the leader of this movement at this point in time. WNBA just kind of forgotten.
0: Yeah and certainly the the WNBA players are I think even more pointed to in their the discussions of these issues. I think particularly about the women on the Atlanta team who uh, are, are very very direct in their criticism mm-hmm. of the owner, for instance Uh, who's a senator uh, an american senator right there there is a little more willingness to be open and direct in their criticisms and some of the nba guys do seem to cash it a little more than uh, the women in the wnba and you see it uh, i I think of people on the uh, american national women's soccer team as well Uh, yes you know know, people like megan rapino who are very open and uh clear about where they stand on issues where you don't really hear from the men's Uh, olympic soccer team in the united states at all on these types of issues even though they get paid more for poor performances
2: Mm -hmm.
0: yeah Uh, there's
2: there's a lot there
0: (laughs) yeah yeah so you you've written an article uh, about the lack of historical resources available for people who want to look into the story or the history of Black women. So uh, the article we ju- we played ball just the same, which came out uh, recently. Uh, so it's about recollections of Black women's experiences in sport. And basically, what what I got from the article is this idea that, uh, and it's something that I've been wrestling with in, in some of my other work is, you know, how biased are archives on just self selection, right? And and what people. Mm-hmm. Are deemed important enough to put down. So for you, how do we try to account for the lack of resources and the bias that it's just inherent within any sort of repository based on who made the decision to keep stuff and not to keep
2: Um, Wow, it is very, that's a big That that
0: might be an unfair big
2: question. (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, it is very much a, a letdown when you go to archives and you find a lot missing on on many groups of people and luckily for Ontario at least when I was doing uh, my research there was the Ontario uh, what is it No, the multicultural um, historical uh, images society of Ontario and And what I was able to write in that um, article was was based on uh, on the work that they did back in the uh, no in the 80s and 90s, interviewing people from back then and kind of collecting these stories. Um, And so it's about that. It's about sort of a a, a, like any kind of uh, attempt at repairing this imbalance an imbalance in in any field, or, um, or they're talking about who's around tables and and, um, and who's contributing to narratives and who's making the decisions and has influence. It's about ensuring and being very pointed about it and being very purposeful about it. That that multicultural historical society of Ontario um, uh, re- a collection was gathered purposefully. Um, you know, they targeted specific groups uh, in, in that they have black Canadians, but they also, and they have men and women, they, they had a good mix of both. Um, but they also, I mean, that it contains uh, just a whole host of interviews from, you know, Jewish people and Ukrainian uh, immigrants and, you know, all just a whole host of different groups that are just you know have historically just kind of led their lives outside of the the mainstream and have never necessarily done big things so that the big uh, repositories and um, archives have you know have been interested in sort of getting their things um, and 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 collecting their things. So it's about sort of the, the that purposeful collection and 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 not just Waiting for, um, but while well, sitting around and, and kind of waiting for this sort of natural process through which collections are made, which is donations by certain people who know that this happens, um, or or reliance on on on, on hard uh, physical uh, archives as well and, and written accounts, because part of the, the reason why we miss a lot of narratives from certain groups is because they were not reliant on 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 you know they were they didn't write diaries and 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 collect a bunch of records in that way about themselves they they, they were more you know orally based and passed down their, their stories that way and so if the if the main uh, archives Sort of rely on oh well we'll we'll get the what we get from everyone else which is those diaries and those photographs and all of that then it kind of completely raises a whole group of people that doesn't have that as their main way of communicating uh, down you know through generations um, so it's it's a it's a, it, it needs to be there there has to be a purposeful um, collection of archives from um, you know, from communities, um, more specifically, and uh, and hopefully, I mean, I, I don't know how what's going on in that area, whether there's sort of any, there's been any um, awakening to this, and whether that process has started. I know that I'm I'm planning on almost doing the same thing from that article uh, here in Nova Scotia. And I know that I haven't stumbled on any of those great oral histories from from uh, that I the same kind of thing that I found in Ontario. So I'll have to be basically knocking on doors and seeing what people have in their attics about their their you know their um, grandfathers and and grandmothers and um, you know personal family archives and then eventually down the road, collecting those oral histories myself, because there's just, you know, in, in, in I thought Ontario was bad, Nova Scotia and just the Maritimes uh, is even worse. There's really wow. very little on the communities that have been here for hundreds of years. Um, so yes, it's it, it's a bit, you know, it's discouraging, um, but I think it can still, there's a lot to, there can still be a lot salvaged Um, And, you know, if we can speak to people fast enough and collect those uh, memories while they're still around, um, we we can make sure not to have a big gap uh, because right now it's widening, right?
0: Right. Have you noticed a difference in the way that people express themselves through these or or just describe family members? who who are part of the the black community versus the way say newspaper writers would write about black athletes through the 20th century like I, i'm trying to think if there are terms that might have been used given that a lot of writers were looking at athletes through a racialized lens But so when you go into an archive or you're doing research you know what, what is the difference between the way people would self-describe or family members would describe them versus the way the you know a newspaper writer a magazine writer would describe a blackout. Mm-hmm. Um, it's
2: uh, it's always so. Canadians were often very um, well, you know, very polite about it. And uh, there was there was at least up until the 1950s, there was a marked um, just trend of making sure you, you you point out that this person is, you know, this was a Negro athlete or another term they used was dusky, um, dusky athletes and, and, or ebony, well, no, ebony was not used a lot uh, in the mid-century, more, more like, I think, like earlier. Um, so th- there was just a way of labeling them consistently, you know, somehow that way, you know, despite not using a lot of uh, pictures, uh, the way you would now, um, you still knew who was black and who was white. Because if you looked up the sports pages enough, you would find that, you know, uh, th- that they were labeled as, you know, such Whereas obviously uh, the other athletes were just John Smith did that and that was period. And you know, then that John Smith cannot be Um, anything other than white. Uh, So there was a lot of that labeling that, you know, obviously when people are talking about family members or themselves, they're not sort of going around doing. Um, In terms of, um, you know, in terms of a way to separate and and really establish that there's something different about these athletes, you know, these these Negro athletes or dusky athletes, um often there was i mean when they were canadians they seemed to be a bit more clement than when they were americans um the, i mean that's that's something i found where just when it was i don't know if it was this patriotic thing coming out where you wanted to kind of embrace at least these canadians because hey they were on your side um but you know when they're Americans, there, there could be sometimes a bit more of a, oh, look, you know, these strong types and the, the, that kind of, you know, the athletic uh, uh, built and, you know, just that that animalistic tendencies and and um, or, or that animalistic kind of um, the theme, be, that being sort of the theme of how you describe these athletes, how, you know, a bit unnatural they may be. Um, But there was not a lot, um, I'm I'm actually sort of working on trying to see, to to, to purposefully analyze that and look at the language uh, that was used, but Canadians were very uh, careful um, in the way they really did things. I found in, 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 you know, when I was uh, researching and, and going through many globe you know, Globe and Mail uh, or Star or whatever other mainstream uh, media, it, it was often quite subtle. Um, though sometimes he just went ahead and said, boom, there's a, just a wave of black athletes and clearly we can f- defeat them because hey, they're black. McLean's was, I think there's a difference also in that McLean's uh, or magazines and, and newspapers um, because then in, in McLean's there's a there's it, it's more of a commentary and less of a report and so there's more space to then go on a tangent about how these black athletes are are good because they're black
0: right so like I, i'm thinking too in the, the lens of the larry Gain paper uh, and subsequent designation where in the English context he wasn't allowed to fight for the english heavyweight championship, even though he would have qualified based off of all the rules, in part because of this idea in England that if a black boxer is the English champion, it somehow diminishes the white Englishman and is almost emasculating for them. And it's larger concerns about how do we keep control of our colonies if it's not this white man who is, at the time when the heavyweight champion was the the toughest person in the world, if if Mm -hmm. it's and how do we continue to control these colonies and it it seems to me like in those cases the description of black fighters at least would be more that they're more ruthless or more violent or more cunning or underhanded in some way and yeah more
2: destructible, and it's unfair and all Yeah.
0: Yeah, and it's that kind of type of almost coded language that is used to minimize their agency as athletes. Even though on a even scale they might be better, it gets presented as unfair or or, or somehow that they're not worthy of the accolades that they've earned. Hmm. Yeah,
1: it,
2: it's it, that's the thing. It, it, With Larry Gaines, it was just fascinating because I found, I mean, it it always seemed to me that there was Jack Johnson and then Lewis and then sort of in the middle, nothing happening. But um, when I went in and found Larry Gaines sort of somewhere in that middle and sort of hustling and trying to get somewhere and sort of chipping at the block that eventually Lewis breaks through, it does seem that it, it does um make more sense that some athletes before Lewis helped chip that block and that Lewis was not just this sudden a- arrival on a stage where everybody's like, okay, now let's this was silly. He, he was perceived as silly earlier on, on the way, um, until Lewis eventually you know, sort of benefited sort of stood on the shoulders of people like Gaines and, and, and other athletes that were in, in between. Um, so it, it was exactly interesting because Canadians, I think once again, that, that whole nationalism, patriotism thing very much was in play because they were very um, vocal about how, well, clearly there was some hypocriti- um, hypocritical uh, thing going on with England and 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 the, and the fact that he was also not allowed for the main heavyweight championship. And, um, and that discourse was there that, hey, we know the reason why, we understand the reason why he's not being give, given a chance. It was almost, it was just such an open secret that almost no, there was almost no need to really spend too much time on it, right? Um, but at the same time, it didn't mean that, you know, there, there's some scholars, you know, have have spoken about it. Just that support doesn't necessarily mean m- much when you when you consider how it also does play into a a a, uh, a need to control uh, the the black athlete. So it's not so much that they think gains is completely equal. It's mo- it's more like his hours. We've put, like, if when he wins it'll be our flag that will go up and we have we have ownership of him and um, and and I mean so far so good right he's good and we'll drop him if he if he messes up but so far he's doing he's playing into our hands so of course we're going to support him I mean it comes back again to that discussion we we're having about how the president and, and the and the, and the right is reacting to the protests. Uh, about the athletes they're perfectly fine going to support them and filling up those those arenas when they're just playing when they're in control of what they're doing uh but as soon as they seem to get out of those bounds then you know you you hit the brakes and say no 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 this uh we, we let's not get overexcited here. Nobody ever said that you were on the same level as us, right? So there's sort of that backup. And I think that's what Gaines was, is that it does seem, you know, he's well taken care of and Canadians love him, but, you know, it's, um, history tells us that that was really, thankfully, because he was great and he was, uh, um, uh, he he didn't mess up um, and, uh,
0: he, he fit a good mold. Right. Well, during his career, right. I I, mm-hmm. I wonder, you know, after after his career, you know, he he runs into some legal troubles, uh, and then his memory is basically gone, right. And I do wonder how much of that uh, post career uh, challenges that he suffered. Uh, some of it self inflicted. He was a gambler, and you know, he's mm-hmm. very open about his just love of gambling, uh, which <laughs> didn't help his uh, his finances. But you know, you, you when you have those sorts of things where you know the memory of him is largely erased from contemporary Canada, I do wonder if how much of of what his post career boxing career life was like uh, influences that, uh, and and it, it leads me to the larger question about the idea of nationalism and patriotism for Canada and sports because so much of it comes from hockey. Uh, in this country, right? Hockey is kind of the central thing that, that in theory, unites everybody. And yet, as we've seen over the, the past few weeks and months, as the NHL has started to delve into some of these social justice issues as well, it is very much a a white sport. Uh, there's not a lot of diversity within the sport. I think there's more than a lot of people might think, you know, we've seen minority athletes from the NHL have a a platform recently. And I'm always kind of surprised on Twitter where the reaction is, I didn't realize there was black athletes or black uh, hockey players in the national hockey league. Um, Mm -hmm. So, so what do you, like, does that tell us anything? The fact that hockey holds this place in Canadian culture, such a strong place and yet it doesn't, reflect, and I've said this about curling as well, that when I go to a curling club, it doesn't look like the the country that I walk around in every day, right? I don't see the same faces that I see when I'm walking around downtown Ottawa, when I go into the curling club, I think the same was true as my experience growing up, going to hockey arenas as well. It didn't mm-hmm. reflect, I mean, it reflected the town I lived in uh, cause you know, I lived in a very white suburb, but you know, it was close to Toronto. So when I would go into Toronto, go to Blue Jay games or whatever, mm-hmm. I, I was seeing the same faces when I went to the the hockey arena. So what, what does it tell us that this gets held up so much? The sport gets held up in our, the popular imagination of Canada and yet it, either explicitly or implicitly excludes so many people who live in this country and are Canadian. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I think it speaks a lot to um, when you look at the work that's been done. Um, it seems to, to be that there's, you know, these other people um, are allowed to contribute to that nationalism and identity and so on sort of for a moment for for specific purposes within specific parameters and then we move on to the regular programming which is hockey and whiteness and 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 that anchored you know European British uh, legacy uh, what European British legacy that we just cannot shake Um, so when you're looking at, uh, and and I suppose it goes back to why then people like Larry Gaines somehow disappear, despite having been some of the biggest names during that period of time, uh, that short period of time. Or I s- recently stumbled on the um, uh, th- this uh, f- another fighter who was uh, the who seems to have broken the color bar for um, the. Uh, what is it? The second level of, of, of so not heavyweight, maybe lightweight um, in Canada? Uh, no, not lightweight. What comes down? There below,
0: bantam, like, there's bantam weight, fly Yeah, I
2: think uh, it's, yeah, it, it was one of those. I,
0: th- yeah.
2: I think it was bantam, but okay. I have to recheck. Um, are,
0: I, are, are, it, are you talking about George Godfrey by chance?
2: No, no, he came in. He came in. When does he come? He comes in in the forties, okay. and he becomes, He's the first black athlete to break into the the who, who to win the title, the Canadian title for for that weight, and somehow just kind of, you know, just just slips out of the consciousness, actually, really, even when he was holding the title, it just seems everybody ignored him. Even, I mean, I I stumbled on him through a black newspaper from Nova Scotia, uh, which was very much too focused on people like Jackie Robinson at the time and Joe Lewis to notice someone like that other man whose name, uh, ironically, But I'm I'm really bad with names, but who's name ironically is also escaping me. Um, But so, yes, there's 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 just the trend has been that these athletes can be upheld for a second uh, to fulfill a specific purpose. uh, But they're not who we truly are. Who we truly are is hockey and. Uh, and and in, the, in that spirit it needs to be protected, uh, it is quite well protected and kept well uh, within the, the, you know, certain, uh, certain quarters and between certain people and, and others just never really find a space in it. Um, when you look at, um, you've had athletes through which Canada has happily, uh, vicariously lived through. Uh, who were who were not white, you know, um, through the, the 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 times. But they had ha- they had to be perfect, right? Uh, and whenever they were not, or whenever it appeared that they were overstepping their bounds and and becoming too much of an agent, they were dropped like very hot potatoes. Um, it, it just never. You have to be very perfect, um, or or you know. Even if you're really good, you you it's just there's it's really hard to get a grasp and and stay and have any staying power. It seems as a as a as a as an athlete of color in a country. Uh, Whereas just hockey has been baked in and just stays and keeps on giving. Um, and we, we, you know, the the others may help a little bit with. Um, when we need to be reassured that the whole multiculturalism thing is real and that it works, uh, the Raptures and, and we, the North, uh, have been that. You know that they, they've helped that. But you know, I'm a big fan of the Raptures, but I'm very, you know, completely skeptical about what they represent and and this notion that wants to this this movement that wants to make us believe that they are. What that they somehow represent Canada and that they are embraced, at, you know, coast to coast to coast. Um, it, it's quite superficial, um, and I doubt um, that basketball hoops are going to replace hockey rinks um, in small communities across the country. Um, so, hockey just has has been has been has had such staying power because it, it obviously was, you know, um, anchored much earlier. And then you had that period of time where it was really the only thing around. Um, hockey night in Canada, on radios, on TVs, this was the only thing that generations absorbed. and um, And it's just impossible after they've absorbed the image of hockey as it was, in 1906 to change it, apparently right now, you know, in 2020, it's just still very much that same image. We we seem to visualize any a difference or any challenge to it as somehow, you know, a, a challenge to Canada and Canadian identity and everything that Canada, uh, everything good that Canada stands for.
0: Well, how much do people like Georges Laroque or Anson Carter uh, play in, in this sort of thing in terms of just representation and seeing things like like I know that when I was a kid, I could turn on Hockey Night in Canada, not only see people who look like me, I could see people from my town. Right. Uh, like we, we, we had somebody from our town who played in the NHL. So I could literally turn on the TV and see somebody who grew up in the same place as me, uh, you know, who shared so much of my experience. So, you know, how much of just seeing people who represent you, whether it's geographically, ethnically, Uh, Linguistically, I think in this country, there are certain sports that have a pretty big linguistic divide uh, as well. You know, how much is that representation at the highest level of sport uh, influential in shaping not only what the sport is, but also the way in which communities come together and uh, perceive each other across the country?
2: I think it has it has a lot of um, it has some power I think to be able to say to turn in and, and see someone but at the same time when you have just a drop you know one player here one player there I don't think he makes much of it, it almost becomes the the exception that proves the rule the rule being we don't play that sport and those are just these outliers that somehow ended up in the sport um, and that don't, that people can't see themselves through. And it doesn't help that often those athletes, I mean, hockey being hockey, there's, there's little, there's little, uh, um, support for any kind of outspoken nature, right? Any kind of upso- uh personality, to be honest. And so it it, do, it, it doesn't help that it, as you were saying, most people don't even realize they exist because. They just go they play they blend in their you know that locker room and just you know have their head down focused on hockey and it's not like they're going into communities and impressing upon them that hey i did it you can do it um when you have some kid who really somehow tunes into hockey and 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 you know becomes uh very much focuses on somehow succeeding into it they may see them and and and, and decide to lock on to them as someone who they can emulate. But on a on a greater scale, um, I don't think they make much of an impact because just being there and in a sea of of white faces um, doesn't seem to, to produce much of an impact. We've had a, f- a few athletes over the years since you know the days of say I don't know Jerome Ginla uh, early on. And still, it doesn't seem to have produced much of a movement after them saying, "Oh my gosh, I saw, um, I saw that I can do that." Because hockey, in in addition to of course being hostile to certain groups, um, it's just expensive and get, getting more more and more expensive. And these days, you 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 have like, you know, these uh, what, what do you call them? Um, these uh, hockey training programs and, and, and you know uh, that, that just require a lot of resources and it just so happens that those groups um, that are not white are are unlikely to be able to access them. So when you add that layer uh, it just becomes very difficult where because it takes a lot of energy for a kid to break through uh, at the lower level, um, let alone, you know, the, reaching that high level. It, it was a. It, at some point it looked like, hey, you know, you had Suban and he should have, and he was quite, well, not, maybe not vocal in terms of on race, but he was very visible. He, he was very flamboyant as they like to call him and very much not a hockey guy. And you would think that his presence there being, you know, could have had, but, I'm not sure that anybody has traced some kind of surge thanks to him, despite how how visible he was, because once again, his presence and just the way he's been pushed to um, he's been marginalized uh, in, in in that league has made him more of again that exception that really proves the rule that well, there's no nothing for you there. You shouldn't right. really go there.
0: Right. Well, like, I, I use the example on the show sometimes that at the curling club, at the Rideau Curling Club in Ottawa, a few years ago, I pointed out that one night I said, there's, you know, there's no black people here uh, at the club. And somebody said, well, what about Jim? And, uh, and Jim was the one black member of the club. And I thought, <laughs> well yeah okay like that doesn't that kind of prove that the lack of diversity here is that you immediately say like here's the one black like why are you why why do we do that as, as holding him up and the other thing in terms of the comparison with or, or the reference to pk soupon i always felt a lot of the criticism of him was really unfair in terms of style of play because being here in ottawa i saw a lot of eric carlson play and they seem to play a very similar style of very open, offensive, uh, aggressive games, and I never mm. heard the same type of criticism of Eric Carlson as I heard of P.K. Subban for playing what I what I felt were very similar styles uh, of on ice game. And so you think, well, why is there that criticism? Well,
2: yeah, he <laughs> just c- couldn't 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 fit in, right? And and. You know, I think he just had the un- the most unfortunate personality for a hockey player, and just ha and then happens to be black, and so whatever he does is timed, you know, it's timed ten. Um, it's like um, and, and then you also think the the whole idea that we have as a society, just uh, the majority of people have about sport being an equalizer being a meritocracy seems to feed into it as well because when they don't see people around they're like well you know they just they're not playing they're not good um it's not that the leafs you know uh it, it, it's it's not that we've done something somehow that has made it impossible for for uh, athletes of color uh, black athletes to make it up to the top and possibly be part of the Leafs uh, program. It's just that they're not good. Like right. they just somehow, you know, they, they can't play. And then, um, you know, if, if that's the logic, then there's nothing to do about it, right? There's, well, you know, it's not a problem. They just need, if they if they were good, they would have been chosen. But there's, you know, they're just not there because of, of so many other different reasons. Um, other than just they were not there to be chosen, and 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 people get very um, upset and, and worked up about the notion that um, well if the, if it's a whole white team it means that uh, they're doing something wrong because again to them it looks like well the, the Leafs just look for the best players and the best players happen to be white so get over it um, and why should we worry about this? But the NBA is 80% black and no one is worrying about that. But actually someone is worrying about that, but somehow, you know, it's brought up only when the, you know, that becomes an issue only when the other thing is is challenged.
0: Right. So let's get into this this idea too of sort of how people get into the sport because some of the pushback that has gone on over the past couple months from the curling community, uh, and it's not just us on, on the show who have who've talked about the lack of diversity in the sport. A lot of people have said that the pushback has been that you know, curlers aren't racist uh, on, on average. And, and I, I believe that. I don't think curlers go to curl on their Wednesday night teams and are conscious and consciously say to them, I only want to play with white people. Uh, I'm sure there are a few, but I I don't think the majority of the curling community actively thinks that. But at the same time, I do look around at the curling community and don't see, again, the the country that I live in represented at the curling club. So in your experience and your research into sport, what can sports do uh, at this grassroots level, uh, grassroots level, to make the, the make the spaces more welcoming make them more inclusive again at the grassroots because eventually at least in the case of curling if grassroots curling becomes more diversified then the elite level curling will as well it sort of feeds mm-hmm. from the, the bottom up from the local level will eventually get to the national level, particularly with junior programs uh, and making it so that, that more people are, are comfortable coming to the club, bringing kids to the club to uh, get into the sport. So, so, you know, your experience in your research, what steps generally can sports take to make it uh, more of a welcoming environment?
2: Uh, I suppose it's a, it's a whole, uh, it's a host of things, but, there has to be some kind of uh, culture around the sport for people to feel like they can just walk in without being that one black person, you know, without being marked up. Um, because y- y- one thing, you know, when you look at sports that somehow have ended up uh, segregated by race or, or some other marker. Uh, it is usually because uh, you know people then feel very comfortable in those spaces and any external person, any other um, just will have trouble fitting in without being reminded constantly that they are that exception that they shouldn't be there that somehow they've, they've they're pioneering uh, something and most people never want to be that first, black person to step in, or the only, because it's very, um, um, I mean, research has shown just sort of psychologically speaking, uh, culturally speaking, nobody ever wants to be, um, to end up, you know, being that, that one person, being that one person in a group like that, um, in a society that is very conscious of race, even when it, it raises it or, or pretends uh, that, that it doesn't mean anything, is very tiring for um for people being the only one there is very just emotionally draining Um, and so you'll have that one person coming in and then they leave as long as they don't have a, a culture around them as long as they're not sort of um that it's not something that other people their their entourage is doing it becomes very difficult to make it stick and make it an actual habit instead of a one-time thing, or an exceptional thing. So when you're looking at um, all the sports that are segregated, people go there because that's where their uncle and their cousin is, uh, their friends and where they can feel comfortable um, and, and they just avoid the others because it's just not worth the trouble, you know, why Why would you put yourself in that position for something that you're not necessarily even passionate about? So I think it starts with creating a culture at the very early stage where, you know, if we're talking about curling, making it just open um, and making it part of communities, making it, you um, you're just making it casually something that's just there for everyone but that takes you know it's not something that's fixed you know just um in in in, in snap it, it, it takes it, it takes time to really create a sense that people can actually participate in this thing um, uh, when you have that racial component, it, it becomes even more because you you have to break that tension that they can't, you know, that on one side, white people have to accept that they can be in that space without somehow being, intru- you know, intrusive or or, or the exception or the special person that somehow can play the sport that we usually only are the only ones being able to play. Um, and on the other side, it, needs, you know, it has to be uh, understood and, and built in um, that it's a it's a place I can walk in without feeling exposed and um with with a spotlight on me, so that cultural just building that, I can't even name a you know some, some any kind of example where where that has happened where there's a there's been a great shift in um in pers- in the perception of what an activity should be and who should be uh, part of that activity because of, you know it, it's just I mean, look at uh, baseball. Despite, yes, it's you know Jackie Robinson broke the the gates, and you had uh, people like I don't know, what is it, uh, Campanella, and you know there's there a few that followed right around his his era, and you know great uh, great uh, baseballers. But baseball didn't somehow become. You know this big black sport. It, it is still, uh, I suppose, at this point, you would say there's a lot of Latino people, a lot of white, and then a few black people. Um, it's it's never taken off, despite the fact that actually, when by the time Jackie Robinson is in it, goes in it, it's a huge uh, sport in the black community. They've gravitated towards um, other things. So you can have the stories, you know, you can have the heroes, uh, but just looking historically speaking, it just, it takes much more than having, you know, that, 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 um, that one champion, uh, it seems to take just a very long process to, to really switch it up. Um, I suppose, Basketball is one that has switched up. Basketball started, you know, in the YMCA's, and it was very much about white uh, Christian men. And uh, you know, the NBA starts out very white, and then eventually there's a switch somewhere where um, it becomes red as urban and and black and. And white people just kind of self-select themselves outside of it. It becomes a thing that the others do, not something we do, and and somehow it switches up. Uh, but that's the thing. Instead of actually creating a, a good mix, it's just it's it's just displaced one group for another, right? Right. So I, it, we need a better model for a sport that actually creates. That, that that vision you 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 have you were saying you know that 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 you can walk into the room and look at around and actually see the country you know see uh, people around the, the the curling curling ice curling yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the curling ice being the same exact people that you're finding you know around Rito Center, um, yeah. but yeah it seems it just it's very difficult. Um, without bringing breaking a lot of barriers around um, just that we have all the hung ups that we have around racial identity and what people do and and, and that you know associations between activities and certain groups. Um, it just seems we cluster. Uh, right. It's much easier.
0: Yeah yeah and I, I think in the curling context, one of the things that we've talked about uh, in one of our roundtables was let's get rid of the word club because um, most, most curling places like where you go curl, they're called the curling club. Let's get rid of the word club and call them curling facilities or even arenas or, or something, curling centers. Uh, if you get rid of the word club, it might make it just feel more inclusive, right? Just the idea that this is a club, you have to be a member to come yeah. in. That like, it's, it's not really productive. Like one of the clubs in this town where, in Ottawa is in uh, Chinatown. And right on the front door, it says private club members only. Like, that's not exactly the message I think you want to send to the local community around you. You want to be at an yeah. inclusive, welcoming place. So that's just one small step that we came up with that maybe would be a start of the process.
2: It, I think it would have some, some effect because, yes, absolutely. club is synonymous with exclusivity and, um, and, and just somehow a higher class and and just um, many people don't see themselves in that word, in that idea. And I mean, that actually, as you were saying, club, I was thinking, if we're going to go with, hey, someone made it at the very top, why didn't they bring a bunch of people behind? Look at golf and Tiger Woods and how, you know, he, he's just pretty much the only one. Uh, I don't watch much golf, but I'm pretty sure there's not many in that following his, his footsteps, and some will say, well, it's just you know they're they're not talented enough. But how we've look have we looked at how many are given the opportunity to start playing golf, and um, and I believe it's very small. It's it's a certain demography that plays golf, and uh, and so the chances are greater that they're not going to show up uh, and, and and you know and make it anywhere big because they're just not given the opportunity. So, yeah, club, that, that whole notion of club, we see it with um, swimming as well. Often yeah. that club sport, tennis, um, those, those, those sports are very segregated, um, you know, activities. I don't know if just a word without sort of the 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 the, um, the financial or or the accessibility would work um because if still people can't kind of actually participate then it wouldn't be very useful um but yeah I think that is a great obstacle um for many sports
0: yeah. Yeah, and certainly I think you know too. There's the the economic side of it as well that is sort of mentioned. Um, being a member of a club usually costs money, um, and if you look at the sports like curling, th- there's criticism within the curling community that some people think curling is too inexpensive for for people to participate. I'm more on the other side that I think it's kind of a little expensive, depending on where you live in the mm-hmm. country. But you know, hockey and, and golf, like those are expensive cl- are expensive sports. Whereas basketball, you know, you a hoop and a ball uh, and a flat mm-hmm. surface, uh, and you can you can play it outside with not that much space. Uh, soccer, same thing, right? You get a ball, people, you can play, and uh, you know, those, those things all are, are part of a larger process. So uh, I I know you have another meeting. And I want to make sure you get a good enough break before your uh, your next session. I don't want to take up all your time tonight. Uh, but I, I let's, um, let's uh. Let's well,
2: actually, actually, before we kind of switch to the last topic, yeah, if yeah, it's yeah. the last. Um, I, I want to mention that there is, there has been a historically, um, I don't know if it's still going on, but I know I read it about it somewhere. This curling tradition, I think it was in in the prairies uh, between Japanese Canadians. There was something that was started. Uh, sort of around, I believe, the Second World War, and where you know, it it was, within that community curling was a huge uh, deal and it was sort of that one of those things where everybody showed up and uh, it was very regular and there was a big, um, you know, uh, organized uh, competition uh, within that community. So it is possible for people to kind of adopt it, but uh, in that case, once again, it was very much related um, to the community within itself. It wasn't sort of a, an, an, um, a thing that led to uh, Japanese, Canadian uh, champions at the highest level. It just seemed to be very contained. Um, so, you know, that adoption can be there, it can happen. It just seems to be that breaking that barrier and making it actually mix up people is a hole at the ball game.
0: Yeah, yeah, I think the comparison, at least again in curling that I would use that I think has been successful is with LGBTQ plus leagues that have started as sort of rainbow leagues in various cities across the country. And certainly in Ottawa here, the the curling club where the league is hosted, members of that league play all week, right? So there's the set rainbow league, but the, the, those, People who participate in that league have become members of all the leagues across
1: mm-hmm. the,
0: the club. So I think that's an example where it has been a successful uh, model where you, you've seen a, a great integration and a welcoming open place for members of the LGBTQ community.
1: Uh, hmm. it's yeah.
0: Successful.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I think it's that culture, right? Just creating a space and then kind of opening it up and then. Hoping that it catches on, so that that one kid that actually can make it to the ice level makes and then continues. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So the the what I wanted to just sort of wrap up with uh, for for today is based on sort of where we've been with sports over the past, not just the past week, but you know everything associated with the return of the NBA, with the National Hockey League has done. Uh, the struggles that, that Major League Baseball has had with with reckoning with these issues, they're, they're the ones that are sort of front of mind, get the most press coverage, at least. Um, where do you think we are with respect to sports and politics? Is there any chance that it goes back to where we were five years ago, where, you know, right before Colin Kaepernick takes a knee where, you know, there is a political element to it, but it's not as overt and obvious to people. as it is, mm-hmm. if we kind of open Pandora's box, and uh, this is going to be some sort of wedge issue where it's going to be used by for you know the way you mentioned the president uses it, is sort of identity politics, and sports is now the focal point of it. Is is this sort of the new normal for sports in a more prominent way than it ever used to be? Yeah.
2: Uh, That's a great question. Uh, I think we've broken, we have opened that box. I think there's no way to go back, especially because what's so different with this moment is that for once there's actual support as the thing, as the protest or stand is being made or the protest is being uh, orchestrated that you didn't find necessarily back in the day, obviously even just two seconds ago with Kaepernick or you know further back with, um, with uh, the Muhammad Ali's of the world where they were completely ostracized and then sort of raised up later when, it was, uh, when there was a reckoning and sort of a, a look back hindsight uh, realization that, hey, maybe he was right, uh, we had a point somewhere. Um what's different here is that there isn't that delay. Um he is oh, not he, the the leagues, the the stand that is being made is almost becoming um just part of part of the 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 you know part of the fabric. It's hey, what how you know, what could you made what could you have made um a better, uh, or how could you have played better? How could that play been better? And also, what else would you want to say about what's going on outside the bubble? Um, once the bubble kind of bursts and we go back to normal, if we ever do, um, I think it's going to be very difficult to go back and 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 ask or you know expect and and make any kind of. Uh, You know, erasure of everything that's happened. What not? You know, not when you have such vocal, uh, high-paid, prominent athletes consistently making that stand. So, um, the opposition uh, will have to think, be very get, get used to it. That you can just dribble. Uh, what is it? Dribble and play, or um, oh, sure, sure. You, know, play. And <laughs> you know that there's more to it. Um, and and I mean, when you look at the fact that the Olympics are limping so hard these days, um, and and yet try to stand to, to 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 hold on to this notion that they are neutral and people, you know, it would have been interesting if this had happened and the olympics had happened after they had at this point i believe athletes at the olympics were supposed to be fined if they if they had made a stand um so it would have been interesting to see how that would have unfolded with you know everything that was uh everything happening now and and so on uh because in um Effectively, athletes are gagged right now. Olympians are gagged and can't can't technically stay, say anything or once they're on that stage. So given just the, 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 the movements that are against this notion of neutral sport um, that have made it clearer and clearer that there's there's something going on beyond just performance and equali- um, an equalizing arena, I, I really hope not because it will, I think it will take a lot of just forgetting, a lot of obscuring and a lot of erasure to to completely go back to early Kaepernick era or, or go back to like the Jordan era where, you know, we just expected huge performances, uh, huge platforms with no voice, right? Um, but you know it, that is very hypothetical, and I suppose we'll see. Uh, at some point, I, I think gestures will have to be bigger and bigger because that's what the, the NBA was so interesting. Uh, what was so interesting about the whole NBA thing is that they've, they they had been speaking, but at some point, you read, you know, you you have Black Lives Matter on T-shirts and all kinds of. Um, you know statements on, on on the back of their jerseys and I mean you know at some point it just it, that stimulus stops acting you know on on people uh, and they 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 you know they need more to to remind them that there's a point being made um so it, it's it's been it's it's a great uh you know box to open I think. Um, and making it clear that labor, that those, those athletes can withhold labor and have an impact and get people speaking about it and and get their owners doing something about it. Um, I don't think we can go back.
0: And it's, it's definitely something that we have committed to on, on the Game of Stones to continue to talk about, to continue to look at. Uh, Continue to have these discussions and uh, once things hopefully get back to normal, you know, put the weight of the show behind some more tangible things uh, as well at, at, uh, you know, currently facilities across the country. So I I agree. It's definitely something that is going to be going to continue to be front of mind. So uh, Ornella. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for this discussion. I really enjoyed this. Uh, very oh
2: no, yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. This I'm looking forward to the the rest of the roundtable and and you know what the other um, guests will be will be uh, speaking about.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah. So we we'll continue to do them. We're gonna keep posting on Facebook and Twitter. Follow us along. Uh, whenever we do another one, we'll, we'll give advance notice so you can follow along. So, Ornella Zinduki Imana, thank you so, so much for joining me, especially when it's an hour ahead. Uh, so, you know, you're further later in the day than I am. So, uh, so, thank you so much for doing this.
2: No worries. Thank you.
0: And there you have it. That's my conversation with Ornella Zinduki Imana. And of course, I thank her for her time. Scott, any thoughts?
1: A good, interesting discussion, I'd say. Um, I wanted to ask you sort of what sort of things do you think about when you're preparing questions for uh, for a guest like this?
0: So for something like this, and I I guess the History Slam podcast in general is I think about what do I want to learn more about? And then the, like, that's my primary focus. And then after that, I try to think you know, on, on the History Slam, I have a better sense or, or a really good sense of what that audience is. Mm-hmm. And I try to sit in for the audience and I try to ask questions that I think my audience wants to know. Right. And right. Uh, so, so that's sort of always my starting point. And I try to get into it from there. And, and I think with this discussion in particular, I think so much of it is based off of, you know, as I said in that last question about curlers, I don't think that curlers consciously say to themselves, I don't want to play with non-white players. I I don't think people are conscious in that, Mm -hmm. but it, it, what's important is acknowledging that there could be either unconscious bias or there are little things that we do that make the, the setting, the curling facilities less welcoming to people potentially. So you know, trying to get into those things that we might not be aware of that we're doing. And that's really what I wanted to focus on for some of this discussion.
1: Yeah, well, uh, I'm, I'm glad you have the insight of, uh, you know, acting as the audience uh, because it makes for some really great questions and uh, good discussion. So,
0: well, thank uh, well, you. And, well done. Uh, I, I appreciate it, Scotty. Next time, we'll be sure to get you on that. Uh,
1: just scheduling between
0: you, myself and Arnella, uh, it was tough to work out with the three of us this week.
1: Yeah, yeah, I gotta, I gotta pay the bills somehow, you know. So uh, it's all right.
0: Yeah. So, uh, so that'll do it for this week. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the show. If you have not yet, please do subscribe wherever it is you get your podcast. Give us the likes, the ratings, all those sorts of things. You can also head on over to Game of where we still have the Game of Stones t-shirts. Of course, with every purchase, all the proceeds are going to Food Banks Canada, and we are matching those as well. So it's like a double donation if you want to purchase a t-shirt. So head on over to GameostonesPod.com for that. You can also follow along with everything we're doing on Instagram at tw- and Twitter at Game of Stones Pod. You can find Scott at ScottLikesTV and I am at the sean graham so scott
1: yep yep you are covid
0: negative we learned this week
1: yes uh went to get a test to see uh you know just just cuz cuz we want to go visit our folks and uh not put anyone in danger so i got the no vid i'm yes no not covid positive so that's good and uh you too yeah
0: Yeah, negative for me as well. Uh, Very pleased to see that result come in today. So we are all clear since we
1: got the test, haven't
0: been around anybody else. So we are all clear to go see our folks.
1: Yeah, it should be be good.
0: So yeah, so uh, that's where we'll be this week. But we will be back with you all next week on the show. So until then, stay safe, everybody. Keep your brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern.
1: Make the final...